With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. morning everybody it's great to be with you today you know uh, last week we did kick off a new series all about building bridges and of course the the most important bridge was the one that God gave to us in the form of Jesus his son and the resurrection Sunday was a great opportunity to really focus in on that and that relationship but there are other bridges that we can build that we should build and this whole series is about that concept of outreach, one of the purposes of the church as a, as a whole, the, the big C church, but of course, part of the purpose of us here is Friends and Family Fellowship. So the bridge that we extend to others can include our own home, our family, our workplace, our school, our hobbies, all of the bridges that we can build within the familiar context of just what our life is all about. A bridge that then others can use to connect to the God of the universe. And what an opportunity, what a privilege that is. In Matthew chapter 28, we, we look in on a scenario that happened just after this whole resurrection that we focused in on last week. And if you'll recall, when they discovered that the tomb was empty, the women discovered that the tomb was empty and the angel or, or Jesus was saying to them, go tell the disciples and tell them to meet me in the Galilee. Now, they did that. And then this happens. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that always the way? You know, they had, he had appeared to the women and they went to the Galilee. And I, I have to think that it's important that he appeared to them in the Galilee. You see, Jesus had been in Jerusalem, right? And that's right outside the city where they crucified him and where he was buried. And so the tomb that was found empty was at least very near the city of Jerusalem. And the Galilee is, oh, probably about 20 miles north of there. And remember that we traveled on foot back then, or donkey at best. And so he said, go back to the Galilee. Go back to where I'm from. Go back to where you're from, disciples. Go back to where it's peaceful on the Sea of Galilee, except in the storms, right? Go back to what you know. Go back to where you've lived, and I will meet you there. And that's where he left them as well. But it was, I do believe that it's important that he told them to go back because they had been holed up 
in Jerusalem, afraid, since his death. And he says, go home, and I will meet you there. He goes on, this text goes on and says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now think about it in terms of what was happening in the world back then, the political climate. The world was pretty much completely under Roman rule. And the Jews of the day, the leadership of the Jewish faith, weren't all about Jesus. In fact, they still would tell you that he was dead. And believers, even in that time, still thought Jesus was dead. He had said who he was. He had declared himself Messiah, and he had been killed for that. And now he's appearing to his disciples, and he's telling them, go make disciples of all of the nations. That had to be a daunting task, don't you think? He was telling them to take action on his behalf, and yet he was only appearing in human form to them at this particular time. He says, then, make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, all of the teachings that he had given them. And then something very important he adds, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there are a lot of questions that come up, at least for me, out of this text. And the first one is, to whom is this great commission, as it's known, given? Well, it's given to disciples. And you can think about it in terms of the 11 who were there to receive it. Because context, biblically, is always first for the audience that it was written to. So Jesus is literally appearing to 11 human beings that got this message first. But we have to think about context when we read the Bible in a couple of ways. Two levels. There's always the immediate, who was being addressed at the time in which the word was given, and then enduring value of that message for the rest of us. And sometimes that enduring value is extremely clear, and other times it's just contextual. It's just a part of what was happening in the day. But in this case, there is great enduring value, or in other words, the message that was being given to the disciples at that time does in fact apply to us today. The disciples helped create or make other disciples with God's power. That's how God works through this world. In many, many ways, he works through his people. And what a privilege and what an opportunity that is. So the Great Commission itself was given to 11 who gave it to more, who gave it to more, who have brought us to this day, and the opportunity that all of us have to continue to give it as we can help make disciples with his power. Well, another question that I have is, well, why was the Great Commission given? And it's such an amazing thing that he will allow us, these flawed characters of which we, we sung, I do love that Lauren Daigle song, How Can It Be, like Anjanelle said, and, but he lets us, these broken creatures, be his witnesses in the world, and he calls us salt and light. We are the flavoring in this world that will draw people to him, and we are the light that makes darkness run and hide, 
and that draws people toward the Jesus that we put our faith and our trust in. We multiply the number of disciples by being those beacons. And we don't do it perfectly, do we? But we are the salt and the light of the world. And what people see in us is how they are drawn in. And that's just an amazing, amazing opportunity that we have. So how, then, the other question is how. How do we engage in this Great Commission? Well, let's break down the text. Let's literally look at what what Jesus was saying in this passage. And when he says go and make disciples, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to default to a little bit of an English lesson here. And for those of you that love words, you'll love this. And for those of you who are like, oh, no, English class again, I'm sorry. But hang in there. Because sometimes we say the word go, and it's followed with an exclamation point. And that's kind of like fire in the building, go, right? Other times, the form of that word or that verb, the action word, means something else. And in this case, the action word go was written as such that it means as you are going. So yeah, it's an action word, but that has such tremendous impact to me because it doesn't necessarily mean go, as in move to Africa. Although if God tells you to do that, I'd go right along with it. But it's not a command with emphasis that just says go, meaning leave your home. Because I do find tremendous significance that he's talking to the disciples about this in his homeland and in theirs, in the Galilee, where they would continue to live, raise families, go about their business. Some of them would go to all parts of the earth because that's how we make disciples of all nations. But others would stay. And so the word go there has a lot of value meaning as you are going, as you are living your life, every day, the simple, the mundane, the profound, the big, the small, as you are going, make disciples. It's intentional that he puts it that way. He says, as your life continues, whatever happens, make disciples. Share me as you go. As you are going, make disciples. Well, I don't know about you, but if if you're like me, you default to that, well, Jesus, I'm just trying to be one. I'm just trying to be a good disciple. How am I supposed to make disciples? Or I don't know enough to be charged with making disciples. Or isn't that the pastor's job or the Sunday school teachers or whomever to make disciples? But let's think back to the series that we had not all that long ago out of the book of Acts when we were talking about worship and we were talking about our lives. And we talked about our devotion to God and how it is seen through prayer, through care, caring for one another, through share, sharing what we have, and through declaring who he is. And that's how we make disciples as we go throughout our lives. We all need the truth, the truth of God's word, and we need good examples of how his love changes lives, don't we? And both of those generally come from God's agents in this world, and that's what we all get to be. We're agents of God with skin on. I just love that. So think about for a minute, who prayed for you 
when you were on a path to discovering who this Jesus was and what that was all about? Who cared for you? Showed you that you mattered to them? Are you getting faces? Who shared their treasure with you when you didn't have enough of something? And who declared the truth of who God was in your life? Can you think of names? I can. There's a lot of them. They were making disciples when they did that. And you are among them. And we don't all take, we, we have the opportunity to come alongside an individual and help them move forward in their walk with Jesus. But it doesn't always work linearly, does it? Just like they say it takes a village to raise a child, it often does involve a village to create a disciple. And I think back about the first people that I understood that were praying for me when I was seeking what truth was all about. I think of the people who showed me acts of caring and those that would share a meal with me in their home and and just show me the example of what it looked like to be in a family that, that loved and cared and shared. And then those who would just boldly declare who Jesus was, not shoving it down my throat, but simply not backing away from the truth of what they believed. They'd allow me to ask my questions, but truth was always truth. And while it was soft in terms of how they would speak, it was firm, firm as rock, unmovable truth in what they believed. So when you think back about those people, maybe it was a parent or a grandparent, maybe it was a teacher, a, a friend, a fellow student, a youth pastor, all of the people that might have someone in your workplace who might have spoken into your life or done something to move you down the path towards faith. That's the opportunity that we have every day to help make disciples. It's not any more difficult than that, and yet it is the difficult thing because we have to be intentional about it. The text goes on and it says, as you are going, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, the text says baptize, and I, I don't know that that means that you need a, to run around your workplace and look for a tank to dunk people in if they profess to know Jesus. Although that's cool. That could be cool. But think about it in terms of immersing them. Immersing them in the truth of who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. We all have that opportunity as we're going through our lives. We immerse them in truth, and we immerse them in the grace that Jesus gives us, in his love, because it's flowing through us, and they can see the light that lives within us. And then when they make that commitment and, and we pray for them and ultimately we, we hope their choice, their heart, to make that commitment that says, wow, I recognize that I fall short of God's perfect standard. I, I am, in fact, a sinner. And I need a savior. I need this bridge to this right relationship with the God of the universe. He is perfect and I am not. And there is a bridge, and I recognize, and I put my faith and my trust in the fact that Jesus is that bridge. And I accept that gift. And it's such a beautiful thing when you see people 
moving along that path and then stepping into that relationship with who he is and becoming then a disciple themselves. And at that point, when they choose to literally be baptized as a symbol of a redeemed life, of being washed in what Christ has already been done for us, then that true symbolic baptism ceremony is also a very powerful thing. But as we read this text and say, go and baptize, sometimes that will be literal. Other times it will be figurative in the sense of immersing them in truth and in grace. And we can all do that. And then as you are going, Jesus says, teach them. Teach them what I have commanded you. Teach them about me, me, Jesus. Teach them with your life. Teach them with how you live. Teach them with your words, what you choose to say and what you choose not to say. And then teach them from God's word itself. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. Um, every Sunday morning, I, I go get ready and kind of have a little quiet time at Panera. And I can't remember the last time I took a physical Bible into Panera because everything's in that little phone now. So I have my Bible with me all the time, and I love that about having access to technology in that way. But sometimes there's nothing like the book, the physical book that is there. And I think about that with, with God's word and just being able to put your hands on the totality of it because it is alive. And it's awesome to have the tools, but there is power in the words on paper and in the book that we can hold. I, I was thinking about a friend this morning who she had a good friend of hers who was getting married and she wasn't sure about her friend's faith and the way they were t talking about their marriage. It was, it was in the construct of wanting to be together, but not necessarily about wanting to dedicate their lives together in Christ. And so she was really wanting to encourage them along the way, but not to come off too pushy. You all understand how this goes, right? You know, it's like we want to be encouraging, but we don't want to be the person that smacks somebody upside the head with it and blah, blah, blah. What do you do? What do you don't do? And she struggled with this and struggled and struggled and struggled. And so she was praying about it. And she really felt like God wanted her to get this couple a Bible. She was pretty sure they didn't have one or that they hadn't maybe had one from childhood, but nothing that they could really sink their teeth into. So she, she went to a lot of work to find one that would be a good study Bible, have notes in it, that if they ever chose to really dig in deeply to it, it might help them and their marriage and it might draw them closer to Christ. And up until the day of the wedding, she literally stewed about whether she should give them this Bible because she was concerned about their reaction to her. Now, she's sharing this with me very transparently, and I'm thinking, yeah, it sounds like me. You know, it sounds like a great idea until I actually have to give it. And what is it about the resistance that comes just about the time we're going to give somebody a Bible or speak a real truth into their lives about who Jesus is that causes us to go, Oh, no, what are they going to do? What is the reaction that's going to come? Well, the resistance comes from the enemy, and he throws it at every one of us because the last thing that Satan wants is for us to proclaim the truth, whether it's in handing over a Bible or in speaking the words. And so he will forever, he's not very creative. It just often works sometimes. He'll throw those little arrows that say, they're going to think you're a lunatic. They're going to think you're the church lady. They're going to think, they're going to think, they're going to think. And God says, just do it. 
just proclaim who I am. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We sing about not being ashamed. Just do it. And so my friend, she, she decided to give them the Bible. And she didn't hear anything back from them. Got the little polite thank you note, thank you for your gift. And she thought, great, they hated it. You know, whatever. Three years later, this couple, as all marriages do, had hit a couple of bumps. And her friend called her and said, you know, I didn't think about it at the time. But when we started struggling over, over some issues, we had no idea where to turn anymore. So we opened that Bible you gave us. And guess what? They found answers. Whew. God doesn't always let us see how our boldness for him gets manifested over time. And are there hundreds of other situations where the Bible could still be in the box? Absolutely. But in the opportunity to see that in simply being obedient to this call to make disciples, now my friend didn't make them into disciples, did, did she? But God's power worked through her obedience. And every little step that you take, every little step that I take, every little word of faith or encouragement that we give to people that calls them to the light never comes back unaffected in some form or fashion. We are not the key to it. His power is. But there is never a wasted effort of love in truth or grace. Teach them his ways. Part of that comes in knowing his ways. And so we become students. We as disciples become students of him who he is, what he stood for, what he, be what he believes, what therefore truth is, and how we can live it out. So we remain students always, but then we teach what we know. And that's the way we do with everything. We have to be a learner before we can teach, but once we start to learn, we can share what we know, and we can just continue to learn more and teach more, but not wait till we know everything to start teaching, because we never know everything. So Jesus also says, as you are going, know that I am with you. He saves that till the end of this great commission, but it's the most important point, isn't it? Think back to the timing of all of this. He'd been killed. He'd been crucified. That was awful. And to the people that he's talking to, his 11 tightest peeps, that was awful. And now he's appearing to them. And how wonderful is that? He didn't stay dead. He couldn't be killed. He had overcome death. But he's also telling them, I'm going away again, at least from this physical place of earth. And that's awful again in some ways. But in this way, it's hopeful as well. Because he's never really gone. He is always with us. He is always with you. Paul says nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. To be passionate and to be effective in this disciple-making charge that Jesus gives us, we have to know that. 
We have to know that to the depths of our heart and soul, that nothing can ever separate us from his love. He is with us always. So if he is with us always, and, and we truly believe that, he is always prompting you and me to look beyond ourselves and to reach others who are yet to know him. Again, it's just an incredible privilege to be a part of building bridges to others that draw them to him. So as you are going, as you're living your life, as you're walking through Hy-Vee, as you are going to work, as you are driving down Veterans Parkway, be observant of the opportunities that you have to reflect who he is. Because people are observing us, aren't they? We're observing others, they're observing us. How we choose to be, behave, how we choose to treat others, what we say, what we don't. Be observant for those in need, because they're everywhere. We're all in need. And how can we love on each other that draws people closer to him? And then take that relational risk because it is a relational risk. It was a relational risk for my friend to give that Bible to that couple. Now, you, you may think about that, and you may say, well, that was no big deal. You just do it. But for some people, that's a huge deal. And for all of us, there's something in that relational risk piece that's a huge deal. There's something you don't like to do, that you encounter resistance when you think, you know, like, man, I should really do that. But the relational risk is always worth it if you're declaring truth. Will everybody respond? No. You know, it's interesting. Um, we've, we've talked some about Bob Goff. And actually, and we're going to mention this a little bit more here in a little bit, but Susan's starting the Bible study today on Love Does uh, with Bob Goff. And I think about Bob and some of the things that he talks about with just literally wanting to love every person. He just assumes friendship. And that wasn't necessarily innate to him. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer who tried cases and loved to be right. And you all know that sometimes being right and fostering relationships doesn't always work so well. But what Bob did 16 years ago was decide that every day, he would just be an agent of love and assume friendship wherever he went. And so I got to talk to him for a little bit. He was, he was in town here for an event. And, and I said, so, so how does that you know, really practically work? Because not everybody's going to respond to you. And he's like, of course not. He goes, I just don't worry about it. It's just like water off a duck's back. And I said, well, okay, that's fine that you're, you don't get, he's developed this thick skin, maybe being a lawyer is part of that too, but he's developed this thick skin that he doesn't mind if somebody doesn't just immediately embrace his friendship, his desire to show them love and light. I said, but what about the ones that get nasty? Because we all know out in the world there are people that can just be nasty. And he's like, well, Ann, I am human. I don't swing at every pitch that's thrown. And I thought about that. He will always intentionally try to exude friendship, but he won't allow himself to be run over if somebody comes back with nasty. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't care, or it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to try to love, but what it does mean is he's always going to assume the best first. And if nasty's what comes back, he doesn't quit caring 
but it's not like we have to make the relationship work. Maybe that's a pitch for somebody else to hit. And that's why I love the body of Christ so much. Because somebody that drives you crazy doesn't drive me crazy at all and vice versa, right? And the, the fact of the matter is there's somebody in this world that we all drive crazy, right? And it's such a good thing that God puts so many of his agents in the world and that we get to be together and we get to learn and we get to grow together. Because when people are in need, there should be somebody there to swing at the, the pitch that's being thrown if you follow the baseball metaphor there. We're all in this together. We have the opportunity, and it's not only an opportunity, it's a privilege to take those relational risks, to reach people for Christ, to draw them to him so that they can see this bridge that's been built. But many times it starts with us building the bridge or at least extending the opportunity for that bridge to be built to another person so that their heart can ultimately be connected to that bridge that is Jesus, back to Father God. And we share truth. We're, we're observant about the opportunities. We take the relational risk, and then we enter in in whatever opportunities we're given to share truth. Are you up for this? Does this excite you? Because the Great Commission is for all of us. It's for us as a church. It's for us as individuals. And it's just such an exciting way of knowing that we don't have to go somewhere different. We can. But God says, as you are going, Jesus promises us, as we are going, make disciples. He gives us that challenge. And what he promises in all of that is that he will be with us. And that's enough for me. Are you ready for the journey? Are you ready for the next step in the journey wherever you are on that continuum? Because he wants us to be involved. And that is such a blessing. Let's pray. Father God, we, we just thank you that you are the bridge for us to be in a right relationship with God. And Lord, that promise of eternal life is just so amazing. And once we accept that, once we accept you, we start living life eternal. And part of that is being a bridge out to others, others who are yet to know you and others who, who know you somewhat, but that we can continue to bring along. And God, I thank you for those who have been mentors to me and teachers to me to teach more of who you are and wherever all of us are on that continuum. Challenge our hearts, Lord, to take one more step in our own learning, but also, Lord, to just be observant of all of the opportunities that we have to reach others for you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today, the Love Does stu uh, study starts after service today. Bob Goff, there's nobody else like him. It, it, it is quite an experience. I invite you very much to join in. Um, also, Ann and I were talking about our conversation previously, our, our, our open session, just kind of talking. And one of the things that we talked about was the uh, idea of having a, a service-oriented table, just a table to talk about um, opportunities and, and, and what we were looking to do. 
I'm not sure if should we start that today or, or, or next week with the Love Does study going on at the same time. Let's. I'm going to ask you all to pray on it this week. Think about it. And after uh, service next week, we're just going to take 10 or 15 minutes. We're going to keep it to a defined time. We're going to just gather some ideas and some thoughts and uh, we'll see where we stand. So uh, we will go with that. Uh, thank you all for coming today. It is a beautiful day. It is, it's, it's a heavy competition outside there, that beautiful weather and, uh, and spending some time with Jesus. So um, love you all.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.